Welcome to Climate Papa. This is a show about climate change, technology, and parenthood. Climate Papa. I'm Ben Idelson. I'm based in Seattle and I invest in product led climate companies. And I'm a papa to two kids, a five year old girl and a two year old boy. And I'm very excited to be joined by Dan today. We met on Tuesday and today is Thursday and had such a lovely kickoff to the conversation on Tuesday that I thought you should be one of our first guests because we started talking about all the same things. So I'll hand it off to you, Dan. Thank you, Ben. I'm super excited to be here and have the opportunity to chat with you. My background, I'm a recovering sort of product manager, now turned serial entrepreneur, recently started a new company in the climate tech space, and so I had the opportunity to get connected to Ben, and really excited to be able to chat with you. Awesome. Let's start with outside of work. Tell me about your kids. Yeah, so I have two daughters. One is five, and the other is two. They keep me busy every day. They're very opinionated, as kids of that age tend to be. They like to make sure that I'm always paying attention and on my toes. They're definitely the absolute joy of my life, but they wear me out in the most wonderful way. A good friend called these, called the years, anytime you have a kid less than five, the circus years. And I thought that like really stuck with me as like a good, yeah, these are the circus years. I think that's accurate. I think like I wasn't fully ready for how much climbing on top of me at all times. I feel like there's always a kid, like I'll turn around and it's one's under my foot or grabbing my leg or on top of my back. And I just, I don't know how they do that. And it comes out of nowhere, but but it's both that like physical attachment, I think is like both the best thing and the worst thing. (laughs) Simultaneously, sometimes I'm like so excited for all the snuggles and the hugs. and, And then also Sometimes we're getting the barnacle moment where like our two year old sometimes will not let go of me and does not want me to like go to the other side of the room without holding him. And that sometimes is I just need to go make your dinner. Give me a second. But I also love it. I'm going to miss it as soon as he's done with that. I feel the exact same way. It's one of those things where like I try to tell myself in the moment, I'm like, you're going to miss this later. Appreciate it now because you are going to miss it later. But then the other side of my brain is like, could you just please, I'm going to like spill this hot soup on your head and then everyone's going to be angry. So please just get out yeah. of the way. So your kids also call you Papa? What's the story? They do. Yes. My, my wife is ethnically Japanese and so it's Papa. So there's like a little bit of that bit. That's great. My, yeah. My wife's originally from the Soviet Union. And so our kids are speaking Russian with their, with their grandparents and Papa and Mama. Um, and similarly, our five-year-old, you know, sometimes dad or daddy, because she certainly hears at school and culturally, exactly. but I, I prefer Papa. I like it. There's something very like warm about yeah. the word. Okay? Like dad feels very much like a teenager that needs something from you. And that's what we call, that's what I called my dad, which like, yeah, yeah I like that it's a little different. And daddy feels like a little bit like, it's like pleading almost, yep. you know, in this, and like Papa is just, it feels full of love and embrace. And yeah. And, and I like. Let's go from that to tell me, tell me the, you know, if there was a moment or kind of the connecting moments when you got the climate bug and how that relates to your five-year-old and two-year-old. Yeah, I think I've always been socially conscious in terms of the work I try to do and what I try to focus on. Even in 2019, when I started Main Street out of Google, with that one, it was a lot about the sort of socioeconomic fabric of the country and seeing how different states and different regions of the United States had so many different opportunities available to them and how much 
that was causing some rifts in sort of the fabric of society and of American society, frankly. And I remember having this moment where I thought I was like, I'm like comfortably sitting here in my Google office at my desk, eating my whatever, like dried mango slices and spa water or whatever we used to get. Those are great. Micro, those micro kitchens are delightful. <laughs> micro kitchens, yeah. They really do take care of their employees there. And I could stare out this window of my building and watch the world slowly crumble around me, or I could take my position, try to do something about it, right? And so that was a big reason why I left to, to start Main Street and try to get that company. And then, you know, I think it... It shouldn't be a surprise to anyone at this point to, to move on to climate to suggest that in many ways that is an even more sort of global challenge and really the defining sort of societal thing we're all going to have to face of our era. And it's impacting us today already. And so you can only think about how much more it's going to affect the next generation and the generation after that beyond that, right? And so it really is like one of those, this is a big deal and yeah. people need to start doing something about it. And for me... When it comes to kids and when it comes to raising kids, I think a lot about what do I want the shape of the world to look like for them? And how can I make sure that I'm not sitting on the sidelines if the world is not going direction? It's important. It's important, I think, to be part of changing things. Or I use the word bend the arc, right? Like I, yeah. I'm not so naive to think that I can like change the world, so to speak, but I like to think of it like bending a curve or pulling, right? Some little yeah. variables in some direction so that in aggregate, things start to move in the right direction, right? Because it's no one person, maybe some exceptions, is going to be able to really push or have enough momentum to change things unilaterally. But in aggregate, I think we can all make a difference. Yeah. And I think we were talking on Tuesday about this. I think we both had a, the same mental image. Maybe it's the stage of our five-year-olds being as verbal and asking all the questions that they ask. But it struck me that I think you're the only other person I met who had like literally the same conversation play out in your head as it did mine, which was, at least for me, I fast forward, not even 10 years, maybe eight or nine years, her being 13, 14, aware enough about kind of the impacts of climate change and the role of just some perspective and probably the age of starting to gain some independence of thought and, and looking, at, looking around at the adults in her life and saying, explain to me how did you not understand what was going to happen? And me to say, no, I read all the articles. I had a chance to read the books. I read The un Uninhabitable Earth. I read The New York Times plenty. No, I understood what was happening. Okay, did you, could you not purchase food if you didn't work, if you worked on, if you weren't to work on this problem? And I said, no, we had food and we could live in a house and we were comfortable. So why did you go work on payments APIs or the next AI startup or crypto or anything else and play that out? I didn't have an answer for that conversation. And that hit me. It's exactly right. I, I, same thought process. Not to denigrate any of these wonderful startups that people are building in these wonderful ways, but it really is one of those things where you have to, I think about this sometimes, like people who have privilege, who have wealth, who are in a position to do change, like how do you justify not trying in some sense, right? How do you really sit there and think, yeah, this may be a more personally sat or more personally beneficial avenue that I could take, but it's going to come back in some way, shape, or form, I feel like. And I exactly thought about my daughter as like a cynical teenager being like, Dad, come on, why did your generation screw everything up? The way that we as millennials like often think about, oh, the boomers screwed everything up. They were just acting in their best interest, right? Like humans do. Everyone just operates on personal incentives and tries to do the best they can. And I think I don't want to be sitting there with a uh, flummox look on my face being like, I don't know, it just it didn't seem like that big of a deal at the time. That feels naive at this point. Like in yep. 20 
You could have said that maybe 10 years ago, but in 2023, it definitely feels like you can't really say that with a straight face and be like, yep. yeah, I don't think it's really going to be a big problem. So, And I think acknowledging like the stage that we're at in our careers and whatever kind of privilege we have in those careers and financial situation to say we don't need to work on the thing that's going to be the most valuable in six months or that's 18 right. months. We can give ourselves some more time and our family will be okay. And that's certainly not the case for most people. But that's if right. we're in that position... I almost think that position causes the resulting responsibility to look forward and say, yes, I, I am drawn to work on lots of things and I'm interested in all kinds of products, but this is the one, this is the category and area where I feel like I must, I'm, otherwise I will have deep regrets. That's right. It's like one of those moral imperative things, right? Like I was mentioning Main Street at Google. It's like, I now am in a position in which I have a moral imperative to focus on problems that go beyond just my own survival and basic needs and even the needs of my direct family, right? What do, what does society need? What does humanity need to thrive for generations? And, and this is one of those things that like at this juncture in time, I think this is one of those most pressing things of how do we make sure that the earth doesn't become painfully uncomfortable to continue to inhabit or detrimental to all of us? Uh. It's a big deal. With that, what what do you think we can do? It's fun to have this conversation, but we have presumably some skills or whatever the ambiguous skills are of a product manager or founder. <laughs> but like how do we how do you think about the skills that we have and what we can go do with them? Yeah. And maybe this is a place also we jumped into it, but like you've done some pretty cool stuff before this Thank moment. You. I think it'd be I think it'd be maybe worth staying stage with some of, of that context as well. Yeah, I think again, like everyone's got a different angle to come at this problem with. And the nice thing about climate change for what it is, I use nice in quotes here, right? You can't see my little hand quotes, but the nice thing is that there's a million different avenues of attack that have to be pursued because this isn't like a, oh, it's not like the hole in the ozone layer where you're like, oh, CFCs are bad, so we'll stop doing CFCs and the ozone will get fixed. This is like emissions of carbon and cars and electricity and farming and everything, right? Different organizations, individuals, small businesses, large businesses, right? Across the spectrum, there are channels that are producing quantities of solution chemicals that are leading to global warming, right? Generally carbon, but others as well. And you can, I think it's a response for everyone to pick a lane, right? Where do they want to play? Do they want to play in the avenue where they're trying to pull carbon out of the air that already exists? Do they want to do an avenue where they're trying to help the energy sector or do switch over to more renewable forms? Do you want to do more of the financing side of things, right? I think there's so many different avenues to play. It's it's up to each of us to know what our particular skill set is and how we can affect that specific dimension. So to put some context into my own lens, right? My background as a product manager is very much in sort of small businesses, right? At Intuit, I worked on a small business marketing platform. At Google, I worked on small business advertising. Main Street was a platform to connect small businesses to tax credit programs. And so what I'm working to do with this new company that I'm helping to start is try to sort of take that channel that is small business and medium-sized business, their contribution to climate change, right? It's not as big as the oil companies or things like that, but it's not zero, right? And so every little bit, I think somebody needs to be working on every bit. None of it can be ignored, right? And I'm trying to draw on the expertise that I've built over a decade and how do you engage small businesses? How do you motivate them? to think about things? How do you incentivize them to take action and do things that are going to benefit things more broadly and try to help them find ways to magnify their own impact, right? How can they deliver more than the sum of their parts, so to speak, right? In, in terms of 
getting small businesses to really, I think more and more of them are thinking about climate change. They just don't know where to start. They don't know what to do. They don't know how to be effective with action offsets. Do they try to reduce their footprint? Do they change their materials makeup? Do they switch to renewables, whatever? Like all these ideas are bouncing around on top of mind. They don't really know where yeah. to start. So there's a lot of barriers and some of them which are real barriers, financing and things like that. And others are artificial mentally just or just knowledge and ability to be successful. And so I think there's a really great avenue that I can take my skill set from and tackle that one slice. And again, it's small businesses aren't like 85% of global emissions. They're a smaller slice, probably in the order of a few percent, but it's not zero. And so that's just like many others are tackling problems with the home and the consumers and big businesses, whatever, we have a slice that we're trying to tackle and carve out as well. And correct me if I'm wrong, but most of your career has been building software products That's right. and you're looking That's at right. this and building software products. And there's a lot there's a lot of people who look at the range of issues and say, okay, this is a political problem or a policy mm-hmm. problem, or they say this is a hardware problem mm-hmm. where we need like just to stop, whatever, we just need to stop eating meat or we just need to stop flying or we just need to change this one thing. I guess, what is your mental model on the role of software and how you want to apply it and can apply it because a lot of people would say this isn't a software issue that's a great question i think for me what software is a friction reducer in many ways right part of what there are processes and things and stuff that has to occur for whether it's businesses or humans and software is intended to reduce the complexity and the operational challenges of actually executing those things right and so almost no matter what domain you're applying software to I think if you apply it with that lens, you can think about it as, okay, what are frictions created in either processes or connections between entities or data and aggregation and digestion of that data? And those are all things that software can be brought to bear to really simplify and increase the, uh, increase the lubrication of so to make it easier. And I think about that a lot with, with Main Street, with my other right. company, right? That was a huge theme of what's the state of the world with tax credits? If I'm a small business owner, I got to go to the like state of whatever state I'm in, Nevada website, and I look for tax credits and I find yeah. the form and I fill out the PDF. And I, or like, you don't do any of this and you don't get the tax in. credit, right? Yeah, you don't. Or yeah, exactly. Yeah, realistically speaking, you yeah. never even start that journey. Yeah. Right. You never even do the first step. But software can take all that mess away and deliver you to the end a lot more easily to, to make it to the actually do this I, thing. I right? think the analogy there is obviously so deep directly on tax credits. But if you think about when people say it's a political problem, what that really gets to is, hey, we need to, A, we need to regulate things and make things comply to our goals. And B, we need to incentivize things. That's right. And then if you go through, let's click through that one more time. When you regulate something, oftentimes you need to report on how, whether or not something is meeting yep. the regulation. And when you report on something that is humans filling out forms... And, or not filling out forms or measuring things. Or when you try and apply an incentive, it is humans applying for that incentive or filing that on their tax forms. And yes, policy is what's going to determine the kind of investment in the, or the carrots and sticks that we're going to give businesses, consumers, small businesses, large businesses, yep. cities, counties, all of that. But the execution, the leverage behind those policies, the speed with which they have an impact, the speed with which a consumer or an SMB can take advantage of the policy to move forward is very much determined by software and very much determined by how quickly can you fill out the paperwork to get the incentive to actually put solar on your roof or get the heat pump installed. And so to me, that's such an obvious gap, but I think you're violently nodding because you just spent your whole last couple of years of your career working on exactly that, just in a slightly different domain. And I think, and it's also a huge opportunity when we talk about 
I don't know how much you've thought about this, the new innovations in large language models and where that can apply to even further reducing friction. Yep, exactly. I think my mental model, everything that we as humans do, like we have some level of desire to do something on some scale and there's some level of effort required to do something. And when the effort, or sorry, when the desire outstrips the effort, then we do the thing, right? And so the tipping point is when you can get as many people to have the desire over the effort as possible. And right now, I think we're at the stage where like, for many people, the desire on climate change is still low, but it's increasing. Like the more we see the hurricanes, the more like stuff starts to change, that's going to inch up. I can feel it in myself, right? Where like a year ago, I probably wouldn't have bothered to maybe subscribe to the renewable energy or whatever. Now I'm like, I see it in my mind. I did that for a while. Let me do that. And so it's these little things. And then the other point of things, the effort, right? That's where the government incentives have a play, right? They reduce that. If it costs 10,000 less to get a car, now all of a sudden that barrier is lower, right? right? And software is a piece of that as well. Right. And so all of the things that contribute to that effort stack, the financial cost, the energy cost, the just complexity of figuring it out, cost, the operation or the regulatory sort of like incentives pushing me, although I guess that falls more on the desire side. But all those things are balancing these equations. And what we need yep. to do in aggregate is get it so that desire is high enough and that effort is low enough across all of these categories. Where it all just tips get over. Get the ball rolling. Exactly. And so when you think in particular about, I mean, I know that a lot of people want a lot of people who nerd out on new technology and play with new products are reasonably very excited by, hey, we finally have useful AI tools. Yeah. Do you think I, if they want to work with those, they should come work on climate with those? Or is that not necessarily the best use of their skills? I think that's an interesting one. I haven't thought a ton about the applicability of large language models and things like that for the climate space. I think yep. the LLMs are really great for like probabilistic products, yep. which is a whole new domain that's still being figured out and being explored. And what are these like non-deterministic, like branching things yep. that can occur as a way to inspire action, stuff like that. Like, I think there's probably some really interesting applications of this technology in terms of creating pathways for people to get excited and get engaged and describing opportunities and stuff like that here. On the nuts and bolts side, obviously, like an LLM is not going to create a new method of pulling carbon out of the air. Maybe some other form of AI can potentially do that. Um, but I think certainly in terms of like, how do you spark excitement? How do you push people forward in this space? How do you get ideas coming out? Like th there's something to be said there. I think certainly in AI as a general field has an extraordinary application, right? particularly in data heavy fields, whether it's like analysis, right? A lot of satellite imagery analysis, things like that, right? In terms of climate risk, where things are changing, AI has an incredibly powerful role. There. Yeah. Sorry, like large language models, but AI as a sort of general. Yeah. It's really interesting that this probabilistic versus non-probabilistic point is a good one. A friend of mine, Anisha Charya, is a partner at Andreessen Horowitz. He wrote a recent post about where that is a useful thing and when it's not from a product mm -hmm. perspective. Yeah. And I think he used the example of a tax product in his post about this. And which is interesting because it applies to a lot of what we're talking about, compliance and paperwork and incentives. Right. And I think that there's a layer of interaction that I think is going to be interesting when you think about advising a consumer, advising right. a small business, trying to explain things to them where if you can constrain the hallucinations of the models enough to say, hey, I just want it to explain these trade-offs right. and with a bit more constraint or help fill out this form, but let's like make sure there's some deterministic checks that, you know, that, that fit, like you don't need an AI to do the addition on TurboTax, right? TurboTax right. works great and it doesn't, it's quite deterministic and you want it to be, yep. but 
answering my learn more prompts in TurboTax could use better explanation and not going to Google to try and search for, I don't know, how QSBS stock works and having some explainer alongside could probably benefit. And so you think about how this might apply to some some of the regulatory compliance. It'll be fun to watch. It will be be fun to watch. I think and it'll be fun to see what people build with it, right? I think there's the applications for like generative AI for SaaS tools and things like that, like B2B tools has really been about like content authoring and creation, right? Yep. Like Notion and, oh, now you've got a new page. Marketing copy. Like yep. Marketing copy and things like that. But are there are there opportunities where like it's the software creating things to advise or to help you guide and understand your own journey and using it or progressing further with it? I think there's some interesting aspects there, right? To your point, you have to rein it a little bit so it doesn't go way off the deep end. But like, I think there could be, I think there could be a lot of interesting applications in terms of giving more life Yep. to B2B products that, you know, generally feel pretty samey and soulless. At the there's the a game. company, there's a company that I, a small investor in called Explain Paper. You upload any scientific paper from any topic, any field, and it gives you like highlight to explain. And it, this was before, I think they were before GPT-4 that came out and I tried it and I was like blown away. I could go read a deep medical research article with no training and iteratively query the model to explain to me more and more like what this random acronym meant. That's awesome. And it really opened up like my ability to read research that I was previously inaccessible. And I found that to be a pretty like light bulb moment of just, oh, like this actually could democratize a form of kind of complicated learning for for people. Yeah. I think that's right. I think that's the process with these large language models. Everyone has their like light bulb story, right? I'm a big, I'm a big reader of Ben Thompson's. I actually went to school with him. So I'm oh, super yeah. glad to see he's doing really well. And he was talking about his interactions with Sydney and Microsoft's yeah, implementation yeah. of Chat GPT or GPT four and yeah. how that was his light bulb moment. Like has one for me, it's not quite as exciting, but I was planning a trip to London with my kids. And I'm going to Google, like, best things to do with one of the kids. Yep. These, like, huge listicles, like, all yep. this stuff. And I, like, filter A lot of ads. Yeah. Is, yeah. And so I'm like, I don't even know. Are these any good? Are these reviews real? Blah, blah, blah. So I go to chat GPT and I'm like, give me an itinerary for a weekend letter for a yep. two-year-old and a five-year-old. And it spits out, like, ten things. And I'm like, okay, are these, like, real places? Are these real places that make up this museum? Stuff up? So I, then I go yeah. and I cross-reference yeah. and I Google. It and I'm like, reasonable. oh, I'm like, these look like really fun and like yeah. i didn't see it told me about this big seven-story toy store like Haley's toy store yeah it's called in london and i didn't it's know it's a real place yeah. yeah until i until the chat gpt i'm like and that was my sort of light bulb moment yeah like, wow so i think the more people have those kinds of moments and they start to think about how that can broaden right like i would never think about necessarily using your gpt4 for summarizing research papers because it's never really occurred to me but it's like yeah. once you, once do you it, see you're it sort of, oh this is extraordinary. Right. And I think that becomes more and more commonplace. We're going to see it integrated in the fabric of our data. Of our tools, more. yeah. Yeah. Well, going back to climate work, what what does it feel like now for you when you, I don't know, quote unquote, go to work? I know that neither of us are commuting it, a big distance, but yeah. I, yeah. <laughs> I still work from home most of the time, but but no, it's, I think it's important. It's one of those things that's interesting because when people interview for the company that I'm with, they ask, what's the work-life balance mm-hmm. at your company? How do you think about overwork? So that I'm like, listen, like I have kids. I think it's important to have dinner with your family and things like that. But I'm like, the way I want you to feel if you're working here is that your time is better spent doing this because you feel more motivated, like you're making a difference to the big things than you would feel if you were just going off and playing video games or watching TV or whatever. Right. Like you should feel like it shouldn't feel as much like where it is work, but it shouldn't feel like you're like, oh man, I got to drag myself into the office again to get paid. But it should feel like, hey, like, 
I'm getting paid and I can simultaneously have this opportunity to work on the most pressing global challenge of our time, firing, yeah. right? And so you should have that extra motivation, not because like the company, hey, you got to bust your butt because we got to raise venture around or whatever, but the hey, problem, like, the problem you know, is let's, motivating. Let's, exactly. Let's pick up our shovels and get to work, right? This is going to take a lot of us. So let's get down to business. And so I think about that a lot, right? When it comes to, in many ways, it's easier to start a startup like that where that like you're like if i would if, if one of those things if you had like so much money and could sit on a beach or whatever what would you do or you could do whatever you want what would you do like ideally you'd focus on big societal problems you try to solve it right if you can do that as your day job like yeah what more can you ask yeah. and so i think that's a really wonderful thing i'm excited to be able to really do that and lean in it's a big change from somewhere like google which i love working at google it's a wonderful company but you don't necessarily feel that same sense of working on a problem that's changing society on a day how does that feel when it comes to the momentary trade-offs that you might have and going into the room to work and saying bye to your kids and yeah. the trade-offs of kind of time with them versus working on this problem that matters for them? That, that is always a really hard dynamic to balance because ultimately doing this is for their future, but there is that trade-off at some point, right? I think like with many other things in life, it's about creating and crafting that right? Yes, maybe their future life will be made worse if the plan is worse because I didn't work hard enough. But on the other hand, their life is probably going to be much more directly worse if I don't spend time with them because yep. I'm not engaging in being a being Present a father parent. that's involved yeah. in their lives, right? And you, you can feel that sensation. And so I don't necessarily think that tension is withering and I try to balance it, which is, listen, like I'm going to pour my energy into this work. I'm going to pour my energy into my, my, my kids. And both things are very important. And if I do too little for one or the other, it's Effects, so I just have to be thoughtful. You shared with me a story on Tuesday that was acutely about that. Are you up for sharing that yeah. again about going into work? Yeah. This last weekend was a holiday weekend. It was Memorial Day. And so my wife and I were both off as well as my, my daughter. She finished preschool last week and Monday we were all home. And Tuesday we wake up. And she's like, what are we going to do today? Papa and I'm like, I have to go to work because, you know, I work. And she's like, she's like, why do you have to go to work? I don't have to go. Like, why do you need to do that? And I'm like, because I have to obviously to make money, I support the family, but also because I'm trying to save the world, obviously using like superlative language. This sort of season. And so I have a copy of John Doerr's Speed and Scale. So it's a great book. And yeah. so I read her the like back blurb from it, which is a pretty, trying to sell books, but pretty sensationalist. But she was like, her eyes, and she's like, whoa, she's like, you're trying to like fix that or whatever, right? And I'm like, yeah, it's my, that's what I do every day. I try to make it cooler, basically. And she's like, wow. She's like, you should work every day and every night and on weekends too. I'm like, ah, oh, that's such a great sentiment. And again, like, I'm sure if I do that, she'd be like, I never said that. But it was definitely one of those moments when it made me feel good about what I'm trying to do. Like yeah. it, it crystallizes that impact piece of, yeah, you look into her eyes and you, like, you see the future person she's becoming and you know what she's going to care about, what's going to matter. And it's, it reinforces sort of the work that I'm doing and, and what we're all trying to do. And one of the things I like to say is everybody's going to be involved in climate, whether they like it right. or not. Some people are going to get swept up by it. Some people are going to get harmed by it. Some people are going to try to solve it. Like everybody is part of the equation, but it feels good to be pushing pieces. Yeah. I like this phrase. Someone said that, yes, there's work-life balance, but actually maybe it's more about work-life harmony mm -hmm. and really about how these things connect together in a healthy way to support each other. And yes, there's the obviously financial support and kind of tactical, but then there's also the like alignment of, hey, I'm doing this not just in this kind of compartmentalized sense that I'm trying right. to balance with this other compartmentalized sense. I'm trying to keep really deep boundaries between them. It's actually like how climate papa came about. I was like, wait, like 
this is what I, this is this is what this is the combination of those things and and it, there's deep harmony for me in those being combined and there's deep harmony for me in having this conversation with you and it's not one or the other it is right. inherently both and that feels i don't know there's i was motivated when i was working on fintech apis to increase the gdp of the internet but not harmonized in the same deep way exactly. for me it, right it's i was actually just before i got on this call with you today i was having a conversation with another founder in the sort of climate space and one of the things that i said to him was that i've only been in the climate tech space for a few months now and what i love about it is like i've reached out to people like you ben cold on linkedin and gotten yeah. responses and had wonderful conversations with which like it didn't happen the same way in no. the other industries i was with and i think there's this there's this layer of climate that's different from other verticals or other spaces of, I was in FinTech, right? And there's, it's almost like this winner take all yeah. zero sum game kind of thing. So everyone's a little opposite. wary of everybody else. And in climate, everyone's sure everyone's got their own game. They're all trying to win, but they also know we're all trying to solve the same problem. And so if you win or if I win individually, it's going to make a difference, but it's better for one of us to win than for nobody to win. That's right. And so there's this deeper incentive to help each other and try to pro pro progress things together in aggregate. And I think that makes the community bonds really a lot tighter. And I yep. love seeing here. And I've been inspired by it, getting to meet more and more folks in the industry. Yeah, I think there's this, I don't know, hidden, there's a couple hidden secrets that I think people outside of climate tech don't know about how great it is to work in climate tech. And I think those, I think, I guess to enumerate a few of those. One is that the problems in the space are so interesting because they're often these like really interesting multi-agent problems. You have like utilities, you have governments, you have different sized businesses, you have consumers. And just for, for someone who like likes untangling interesting product challenges, like you can go into any category from forestry permitting to home upgrades to enterprise supply chain analysis. And these are all actually quite interesting problems. Number two, you have this like massive tailwind of just like the world is demanding more from yes. the market constantly. So you can, you know, if you can solve a problem, the problem's market just grows inherent to the problem. And the third, I think most important for quality of life is the people. Like this might change. Maybe eventually everyone's going to rush into it and there'll be a lot of zero sum folks. But it is exactly what you said where people are like, I am doing a startup in this space because, it, because that's my best lever for impact. Uh, and I think that it should be a capitalist growth engine for this solution and this problem. A lot of people are like, well, if that's not the right answer, I'll go start a nonprofit or I'll go start a podcast or whatever the right lever is for their impact, which changes the game quite a bit from, I don't know, are much less opportunist and much less mercenary. And they're also operating on a longer time horizon, yet simultaneously moving with like really energizing urgency. Yes. So it's just like those things combine to make like people you meet like this highly collaborative openness and vulnerability. Like yep. we're coming in, we haven't said the words yet, but like a little bit anxious, a little bit afraid and a little bit optimistic and ready to go to work. And we want peers and we want help and we want to see other people succeed. And that's an amazing foundation for a pretty new, like small community to be running. It really is. And it's really I've used this word too many times, but exciting to see. Yeah. And I think one of the things is there's a lot of this, the urgency is real. Yep. By 2030, we have to do X or Y. 2030 is six years away. Our kids are going to be just 11. Like <laughs> I could see that. I get, like that's part of these timelines is like, that's not like that. We have this issue with time in front of us that it seems very different from time behind us. Yeah. So if I said 2017 is the same distance as 2030. Yes. Right. 
2017 feels like it was just yep. a year ago. And so 2030 will be tomorrow. I know. But again, to use one of those quote unquote night things about climate change is like, we need to hit, be as aggressive as possible, but there's nothing special about 2030. Like this problem right. is never going away, yep. right? Short of ultimate success, right? Which is, right. as we know, going to take decades, extraordinary amounts of effort, right? And so every year there's going to need to be more people, more resources, more energy, more technology, more yep. software put into this thing to be able to deliver better outcomes. And it's just, the need is not ever decreasing. And yeah. so it's, it's humbling and it's, it's exciting. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. This is a really fun conversation. I'm glad we're doing this and we met this week. I think to wrap, if people do want to follow along or connect with you about what's useful to you, are you hiring? Are you looking to meet any particular types of people? This podcast has not yet launched and so it has an audience of zero. <laughs> But if someone does listen to it and finds you compelling, how should they follow along? Uh, yeah, I'll make sure. My mom will listen to it, I'm sure. Yeah, mine too. <laughs> there we go. But yeah, I think we're we're working to grow, right? I think where we are right now, we're still in stealth mode. And so we're keeping things close to the best. But we intend to launch in Q3 and start to raise the seed round. So if, if anyone's interested in following along with my journey, feel free to connect with on LinkedIn. It's, I think, a slash um, dlinquist is my LinkedIn. And then, and then go ahead and I'll be happy to post updates there. Great. Thanks so much, Dan. And I'll put those things in the show notes. I think there's a way I can do that. I'm still learning it all. And and to be continued, excited. I'm very excited to follow along and maybe get involved as an investor. We'll see. Thank you, Ben. And likewise, I'm super excited to have a new podcast to add to my collection, one that sort of marries my two sort of most powerful passions in my life, which are my kids and my the client. So. Very much the same. I did not, I didn't look that deeply, but I don't think this podcast existed. And it's no better product story than building the product that, that you feel you need in the world. So here we are. I love it. I love it. All right, Ben. That's a wrap on episode two of Climate Papa. Thanks, Dan, for that amazing conversation. I'm very excited to get Climate Papa out in the world. If you're enjoying these first few episodes, please let us know. If you think more people should listen, please subscribe and write a review wherever you're listening. Supposedly, that makes a huge difference, especially for new shows like this. And I'd love to hear from you. Stop by climatepapa.com anytime and drop me a note. Lastly, our intro music is by the amazing Balkan Bump. Take us out again, Will. On we go like...